Hey there, this is Meg. I'm your host, and you are listening to Mental Status, a podcast about burnout for people in the mental health profession. Quick disclaimer, because you know that stuff is important these days. Uh, Mental Status is a podcast about burnout in the mental health field. It's for entertainment and educational purposes only. This is not therapy, and this is not clinical supervision. There are no CEUs associated with this podcast. Enjoy it and share it as you will. And if you're in a space where you're needing deeper support, please seek out therapy or supervision for yourself from somebody who is qualified to provide those services for you. All right. Welcome everybody to Mental Status. My name is Meg and I'm your host, and this is a show about burnout for mental health providers. And I'm joined today by a very special guest, and I'd like to let them introduce themselves. So special guest, who are you, where are you, and how are you doing today? Hello, I am Rachel Elder. I am joining you all from Seattle, Washington, where it's kind of sunny, which is always a positive here, because usually it's pretty moody. Um, So the sunshine helps a little bit with the mood and just being, things feeling more lighthearted, and it's Monday. Mm-hmm. So coming off of a weekend, although it was a stressful weekend, so mm-hmm. I'm grateful to be at work today because I needed to tag out from being a parent <laughs> for a few hours. Gotcha. Yep. Yep. Totally understandable. <laughs> yeah. So I am a couples therapist in Seattle. I also do some relationship coaching as well and um, have been serving couples for the last few years and have dabbled into other modalities and niches um, in the five years of being a therapist so far. Nice. All right. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So usually I just like to dive right in. So Rachel, if you wouldn't mind um, just kind of sharing your burnout story with us. Yes, there's so many, but I think the most significant one uh, was when I was working in community mental health, which I imagine there are I'm not the only story in this, Mm -hmm. in this version. I started uh, working in community mental health when I first graduated from getting my master's. I actually ended up working at the organization where I had interned the year prior to finishing up my degree. And I was so eager to get this job. Um, I was pretty far along during my internship and it was pretty common that they would hire interns um, as they were wrapping up school. And I had applied back in like February. I got the job in May and didn't get the first position. And I was devastated. I was like, this is where I meant to be. This is the job I'm going to do. I'm going to be here for so long. I'm going to make such a difference. And I was devastated. And later on learned that they didn't give me that position because they were holding out for a a position that was more in alignment for me, working with um, adolescents and high schoolers more than elementary kids. And I finally got the position and was just, I was so excited. I was a high performer, a high achiever. I had way too large of a caseload now looking back on it, but I was like, I can do it. I'm managing. I'm, I'm seeing so many clients. I'm doing such good work and getting praise from everyone, not realizing that that praise and kind of high achievement piece was what was fueling me, but 
now I know it will burn me out because it's not sustainable long-term. And that wasn't a discussion or a focus, really. Some of my supervisors were saying, like, I think you need to stop raising your hand in staff meeting when new cases come up. But there was kind of probably that rescuer mentality in me of, well, no one else is raising their hand. So I, I guess I better do this. Like, I should take this on for the team. So I was trying to help. That was my mentality mm-hmm. of, I, I've got the energy. I'm new. I know some people are tired and exhausted. They've been here for a while. And, and I, I can do this. I can take care of myself and I can take care of the team. And I didn't realize it at the time that I was setting myself up to be burnt out. And the, the community agency was also setting me up in a way by not almost telling me of like, no, you're not allowed to take on new clients anymore. You, you have too large of a caseload. It's going to impact you whether you can see it right now or not. Mm -hmm. So my hope at that time, when I started back, when was that May, 2017 was to be working in community mental health for my whole career. I thought, you know what, I'm going to be that therapist who stays long-term. I'm, I'm not going to be one that leaves or, you know, only stays until they're fully licensed. I'm, I'm going to be here long-term. I'm probably going to become a manager, a supervisor. That's the plan in life. And had no idea about two years later that I would feel so different about that. Mm -hmm. And it was about six months into working in the agency that I recognized I needed an exit strategy, but I convinced myself the exit strategy was just like for worst case scenario. I'd build a small private practice on the side just to help continue to service the community I was in and, and have that backup plan if I did get burnt out not recognizing in that moment, my body was telling me you need, you are getting burnt out. You need a plan because this isn't sustainable for you. So started to have that full caseload at the agency and see a few clients outside of the agency, (laughs) which thinking back of this, I'm like, why did I not like connect these dots? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to burn myself out. But I think there was probably that graduate mentality of, I really have to prove myself. Mm-hmm. I need to show people that spending eight years in school to get here was worth it, that this was my passion. This is my life career. I made the right decision. I think that was all swirling in the unconscious of my brain and was driving so many of the choices I made. On top of that, I was doing some MLMs on the side. Mm-hmm. And I also worked at a restaurant one day a week to help pay for student loans. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> Yeah. What's happening is, is the right question of how, how am I as a therapist, not recognizing what, what the end process is going to yeah. be. Um, but I kept going, this is my passion. This is the work I want to do. I remember telling my husband all the time, I would do this work for free. There's a reason we don't do this work for free. It's not sustainable and it's not good for our health, mm-hmm. but I was really in that kind of new graduate, new therapist kind of high. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have such an impact and I can do all of these things. Yeah. So that, that all came crashing down for me, um, in 2019. So I made it, I think I officially made it two years. If I think about it before I left the agency. Um, but we started to have huge turnover. I think 2018 was an election year, maybe no 2017 was sorry. Yeah. I think. Yeah. 2017 was a, I think was the like hard election year. So that was during my internship and Mm -hmm. 
politics changed things, but for some reason it, it impacted the agency that there was huge turnover, which mm-hmm. part of it was also just natural turnover, people getting licensed and moving on. But a lot of the people that I felt connected with at the agency started to leave and leave rapidly. I think we lost nine clinicians in like a two month time span, which was crazy. And also so devastating for me because so many of the people I had built relationships with were leaving. So I was then one of the longest lasting or longest or oldest clinician there. And I'd only been there for two years. Mm -hmm. So I started to see that process. Um, and I started to recognize in myself that I'm not going to make it very, very much longer here. Um, I started to cry often at work. I started to be so zoned out in sessions. Like I was there, but I was not fully present with clients and I would be hoping that clients would cancel or that they'd no show just so I could catch up on work or just have space to not be a therapist for an hour. Mm-hmm. And it was finally when what I called like my work bestie, she put in her notice and I knew I was like, I'm not going to make it very long. And I thought I could make it a few more months. And I made it two weeks before mm-hmm. I put in my notice mm-hmm. because I recognized of I, my team that I felt connected with is no longer here. I don't want to be here. And I'm crying every day at work because I've lost my support system. I cannot do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also didn't realize I was pregnant at the time. So part of the crying could have been (laughs) connected to the hormones that were racing too. Mm -hmm. But I ended up putting in my notice and gave three months notice that that good clinician, good helper in me didn't want to repeat what other people did was leave within a month. So I was like, Mm -hmm. I gave them three months um, so they can find therapists for my position and, um, have coverage for my clients so they don't feel abandoned because so many of them had come and felt that way. I was like, I'm not going to leave them this way, but that three months didn't make a difference. They didn't fill my position in that three months. I got some of my clients clinicians and some were just left hanging. Mm -hmm. And on my last week there, I was so angry, so angry that I even like went to my supervisor and went off on them which looking back now, I was like, whoa, I was so burnt out that I, I guess I had the balls to go and (laughs) tell off my boss Mm -hmm. who was so kind and gracious. I don't Mm -hmm. know how they didn't just like kick me out right then and there, but it helped me realize like, okay, this was the right choice for me to leave. I can no longer be here, but I was very surprised of how long it took me to recover. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought, oh, I'm going to have all this free time. I was working part-time at a group practice. I had all this time to fill in my schedule. So I was like, I'm going to work out. I'm going to go have coffee at my favorite shops. I'm going to write blog posts. I'm going to do all these things. I didn't do much. I kind of, not the bare minimum, but did what was needed for my health. But most of the time I couldn't read a book, couldn't listen to podcasts. I just needed space to not be. Mm-hmm. And that was really surprising to me of, I think it took me at least three months after leaving to finally feel like I can engage with more and life again. Um, I'm finally ready to take in new information, build relationships, felt more excited, more of that spark for work again. 
Um, but it took three months of mm-hmm. almost in a way like detoxing and having space and distance from that huge, I mean, it was probably a year and a half in the making mm-hmm. of significant burnout. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I am curious, cause I know that I, I like to hear numbers too, but when you say very large caseload at its peak, how many clients do you think you had on your caseload? Goodness, you know, it fluctuates in community mental health, but mm-hmm. I definitely remember, you know, my like Excel tracker sheet. I think I had like 65 clients on my caseload and mm-hmm. I'd say it was at least 40 active clients. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was typically, I'd get to work around nine and seek and stay till seven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm days that I think I was on average seeing clients almost every hour. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, to this day, I still am breaking down that process because I can be like, oh, I can see nine clients in a day. No biggie. But I have to keep reminding myself like, no, this is not healthy. This is a unhealthy pattern you have. Mm -hmm. You need to disconnect from it. I still do it. There are days where I'm like, oh, I didn't schedule a lunch break today. I have clients from 9am till six. When will I learn? And it's been three years since I left. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see that in myself too. I've, I'm part of a, um, a business coaching program now where we talk a lot about this kind of stuff and it's, we've got weekly sort of like check-ins. So it's, it's been helpful for me to stay accountable to myself because I'm accountable to other people, but Right. Like when I first started my practice um, and I do, you know, telehealth from home, um, I would do the same exact thing. Like, oh, I have, I have five days. It's the typical, typical five days and I can do nine to five or I can shift it forward 11 to seven. Who cares? I can fill all that time. And it wasn't until I was several months into my practice where I was like, I didn't actually have to fill every hour of every day. Fortunately, I had a nut, like I, I did give myself lunch breaks, but other than that, like a lot of it was like session after session after session, things that I had learned from the nonprofits that I worked at and the group practice that I worked at that I just, I pulled forward to my own business. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. I did it to myself this time. Like didn't even realize it. So yeah, those types of feelings and behaviors can be, what's the word I'm looking for? Pernicious. They just, they get in there and they stick until you really work at unsticking them. Yeah. I think the hard part too, is we have to hold the boundary. Mm -hmm. No one else can hold it for us. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I, I know like sometimes with clients, like it shows up and that's a boundary or it's a reminder at the boundary for myself, but at the end of the day, it's up to me. Mm-hmm. to not fill every hour to block off time. And I'm so good at just erasing. I don't need a lunch break. I can drink a smoothie in session. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know. I know that's not healthy, but it is so hard to decondition mm-hmm. from those unconscious and green behaviors mm-hmm. that I experienced from those the multitude of settings. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I, so as I get further into this work as well, um, and do this podcast and have, you know, my social media presence, a large, 
a large part of the audience that I have now are those newer therapists, the graduate students, the people who are like first job out of grad school. And there is a lot of that showing up and doing extra all of the time type of mentality that like realistically people who go to grad school are already showing up and doing extra. Like most of us go through that process already being in a higher high achiever status of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess I would be curious, like what were some of the bigger moments for you where you came to realize that that way of approaching things was doing more harm than good? Hmm. That's a good question. I think it showed up for me when I started to really resent my coworkers. Hmm. And I remember being really angry and going back now, I wish I, I don't, I don't think I ever said anything, but if I did, I would, I want to go back and apologize. But I remember a coworker, we did our internship together. We started working at the agency together and they had just said like, I won't work past five. Mm -hmm. They had a family they needed to get home to. And yet the kind of rule or regularly, I don't, yeah, I guess just the rule of the agency was that everyone would stay till seven, one day a week. Mm -hmm. And there were a few people who just didn't do that. And I remember being so angry at them. And now I see it differently of I, they were actually setting a healthy boundary for themselves of, I can't, when I have a family to attend to, I cannot be here that late. Mm -hmm. And it's not healthy for us to be here that late to work from nine to seven. And I really was angry at my coworkers and resented them of, I now have to pick the ball because of you. Mm-hmm. instead of seeing it as they're trying to be healthy, they're trying to stay here and make this sustainable. I think that was a wake up call for me of being so angry at my coworkers because I felt like I had to f- make up the difference mm-hmm. and recognizing I actually had placed myself in that position. No one said I had to pick up the difference. Yeah. I just didn't like the silence when they said, who's going to stay to close till seven. And then the impact would be, well, then we can't service any of our clients at six o'clock because no one's willing to stay in close. And I hated that of like, well, we should be serving our clients. So I'm angry about the system. I got angry at my coworkers. Mm-hmm. I think that once the anger was there and it didn't leave, that was my recognition of like, I, anger's not bad, but it's not healthy <laughs> to right. come to work every day and be mad. Yeah. And kind of utilize that against people of like, well, I'm better because I'm showing up, I'm doing the hard work and you're, you're not, but not recognizing they were boundaries that were for health um, versus just preference. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what I've learned in my professional journey about anger, when that shows up, um, it's to me, it's usually a good indicator that there is something really not working for me um, that that maybe I need to change or reframe my approach to. Um, You know, so in some of my positions, I would get angry at supervisors, um, you know, because we would bring up this like, 
hey, it's, you know, middle of COVID and half of the team is out because they've tested positive and we're still asking the rest of the team, like you're kind of pushing this idea that the rest of the team does have to pick up those hours and make up for that time when we already have full caseloads. Mm-hmm. And so I would, I would become angry toward administrators and supervisors um, when I would try to advocate and say like, I am very tired. I am sleep deprived. I'm, I'm driving to clients' homes without having gotten enough sleep. That's actually not great. Um, and, and, and the anger would come when the, the expectations wouldn't change. And so there came a point where I just had to be like, they've, they've, as an organization, they have their expectations and they're, they can hold to them. That's fine. But if it's going to consistently make me so angry and make me feel like my concerns are not considered as part of policy, um, And also, I think you mentioned like you would cry, like I would spend Sunday nights laying in bed crying because of how tired I was just like, oh my gosh, another week is starting. How can I make it through? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that, that anger when I wasn't really doing anything with it, but just being angry, it it was not healthy for me. Um, But then when I finally listened and was like, I shouldn't be this pissed all the time. Like I should really if this is how it's going to be, then this is not the place for me. I, I can't work here if I'm going to be this angry. Mm-hmm. And I think that's for a lot of clinicians, that can be a really hard thing to admit. Like they're, the system here may not be willing to change. So that means that maybe I need to, and that sucks. Yeah. Well, and in my experience, you know, I have my own private practice now there's a lot of scarcity of leaving an agency job or a group practice setting, especially when you're like, well, it does feel like consistent income Mm -hmm. and there are benefits involved too. starting your own business. You are covering your own benefits. You have to grow from scratch. Mm -hmm. And my experience is that the community has such a strong scarcity mindset versus that abundance or just belief mindset of you can build this. So many people have gone before you and can do this the same. So when you're burnt out and then you're looking at your options of it's either go work for someone else and hope that agency setting is better or that group practice setting is better. And sometimes it can be, that's, it's not that all are bad mm-hmm. um, or build your own practice. It's, it's hard to really figure out what you're going to do, mm-hmm. which I think is why some people think of like, maybe I'm just not cut out for this, yeah. um, but recognizing that you're burnt out. So your decision-making is probably fatigued. It's probably not at its highest level. Mm-hmm. and slowing down to see that there are options trying to lean more into that intuitive space of what feels best in alignment for me and then doing some of that mindset work which is way easier said than done when mm-hmm. you're burnt out and you're just grasping at straws for what's next yeah yeah absolutely there's actually some um some research that I've come across recently that basically says that burnout, especially in its more severe clinical presentations, uh, is similar in its presentation to trauma mm-hmm. um, because it is a chronic ongoing stressor. There's actually been some 
some research findings that show that the brains of people who have clinically significant burnout look similar to um, individuals who have gone through childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I, I bring that up because you make a really good point. There are decisions that you need to make for yourself when you're burnt out. This is something where ultimately it does come down to you into deciding like what's going to work, what's most in alignment. But I also want to take a little bit of the pressure off of people. If you're, if you're an audience member listening right now and you're actively burnt out, um, understanding that you may be working with signs that are similar to trauma. I can't say specifically if that's what's going on, but it does change how your brain functions. And so doing that mindset work, like you mentioned, it's, it's hard, especially (laughs) if, if you don't have the ability to take any time off between jobs, um, whatever your case may be, if you do have that time, it can be helpful, but lots of us do have to go from one job right to the next. Um, and so just understanding that as you're making those transitions, like your brain is also trying to heal from chronic stress, which is, it's really hard. Yeah, no, I think that's powerful to think about. Of It makes sense for me of why it took three months of I was probably in a trauma brain of just numbing and not being able to engage other than like the bare minimum mm-hmm. in my life at that time it makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. Also trauma stewardship was like the big book mm-hmm. to talk about. It was the gift we got when we graduated from interns yes. <laughs> that you can see, but I did get to see Laura do a workshop and it was really powerful to have, I, I still have it. Yeah. I have it pinned on my little cork board of how to navigate the the trauma stewardship piece, but I think it connects to burnout a lot too of mm-hmm. when you when you feel less curious, what can you do to build that back up and integrating those and building them into my practice now. So that way when I am recognizing I'm burning out again, what I can do to shift out of that and what can I implement in place so that I don't find myself in that intense burnout state. But mm-hmm. that if I'm there I can take the steps to care for myself, which is caring for my clients. And I think that was a recognition I had to step into more of when I stepped out of the agency setting, it was a way that I was caring for my clients, even if they didn't feel that way. I'm sorry. Can you hear that? It's fine. Yeah. I've had clients with, or um, clients, oh my goodness. I've had interviewees with like dogs in the background, all that stuff. Yeah. So it's okay. Um, yeah, it's it's such an important process. And I, I recommended that book, um, Trauma Stewardship, to a lot of folks because it was really impactful for me when I read it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I've been at most of these stages. This is great. Um, sort of tongue in cheek, but also like in reading books like that, and I'm sure going to workshops like the one that you went to and really starting to integrate those concepts into your work. Um, I think it does a couple things where it normalizes the fact that the work that we do in this field, um, I don't want to say that you have to burn out, but if you do, it's not because you're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, also normalizes that you're not, you're not alone in that suffering piece, even though it can feel very isolating. Um, 
the more I've talked to people on this show and the clients that I work with, the more I realize like there are so many of us who are almost silently dealing with this and not, um, not talking about it and not, not bringing it up as a more normal part of the work. Um, which is why I'm really grateful, you know, to folks like you to just come on and talk about it. Like, what is this actually like? What does it look like to be in this space? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this is where it connects to vulnerability in the world. If we were more vulnerable, more honest, more willing to show the imperfect parts of our life, we would feel more connected. We'd have more group healing because I know at the time, like I thought I was the only person dealing with that. I, I thought everyone who left the agency was because they had new jobs, not because they were burnt out or they no longer could withstand it. Mm -hmm. And some of them, it was because they had new jobs, but recognizing now, oh, most of these people left because they were burnt out Mm -hmm. and no one was saying that to me. Um, You're burning out. You're burning out. I was just trying to survive and not Mm -hmm. recognizing that that was me burning out at the time. Yeah. And one thing that I hear about too, from a lot of folks that I talk to are not just the emotional aspects of burnout, but also how it shows up physically, like literally in our bodies, how we burn out. Um, I'm curious, like, were there experiences for you where your body was kind of like yelling at you, like, please, (laughs) please stop. Or was it more, more mental and emotional for you? Mine was more mental and emotional because I had the year before, or actually right after I started the job, I started pursuing my own like physical health journey a little bit more, Mm -hmm. focusing on what I was putting into my body. I definitely would get more caffeine in my system at the Mm -hmm. time. I was like, oh, I'm just tired. I'm getting multiple Starbucks in a day, not recognizing like, this is really not healthy and probably a sign like would beg someone like, you want to go get, you want to go to get Starbucks right now? Even though I already had one that day. And there were plenty of days where I had like two or three iced mochas, so much caffeine now where I'm like, I don't know how I went to sleep at night, but my body (laughs) was probably burnt out. and was like, we can sleep or drink as much caffeine through anything. Um, but it was for me, a lot of more of the mental and emotional, um, feeling disengaged in staff meetings, kind of doing the, the checklist of note-taking and treatment planning, um, not, not personalizing as much or really thinking like, okay, what's, what's really appropriate on this treatment plan for this client. And even recognizing with clients, sometimes just wanting to be like, you complain about the same thing every week. What do you want to do about it? like being really confrontational. Mm -hmm. I don't think I necessarily, I'm sure I probably did and blocked it out, but I remember that thought a lot of just like, what are we doing here? This is a waste Mm -hmm. of my time. It's a waste of your time. Why are we here? Mm -hmm. Feeling very disgruntled a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So more of the mental and emotional, but thinking about, you know, I was, I was working out a lot. I was focusing on what I was putting in my body. Um, I definitely think I drank more that year, probably not recognizing it, but thinking back on it now, allowing myself to drink more than I would. And it was more on the weekend. So it's probably more like binge drinking. I didn't drink through the week because I had to work, but not recognizing that it was a way of me 
kind of numbing out from all that was happening on the weekend of like, it's time to have fun and be playful. And I can have a few glasses of wine or have a few cocktails and not recognizing how those went hand in hand for me. Cause I don't, my, I actually don't like drinking that much. <laughs> my body usually feels pretty gross, but I think I linked it of like, Oh, this is my age. It's normal. But it was probably more of, I'm so burnt out in life. I need something to make me feel different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The one thing that I didn't have or have not had through this is, is drinking because I quit drinking within the first six months of graduate school. (laughs) So, and I know that that's, um, you know, it's something that a lot of folks talk about doing, uh, in our field is this sort of like the dichotomy between what we are helping professionals and we actively work with folks on curbing their drinking or addressing those types of things. Um, and then we also struggle and we also turn to those things just as our clients do mm-hmm. to help us feel better in those moments. Um, and I think not, you know, not everybody, but for some folks that can create a sense of shame, like I'm telling my clients, like, here are all the benefits of not doing these particular things, whether it's drinking or, I don't know, zoning out on TikTok, scrolling through Facebook. Like we can talk all day about the benefits of actively engaging in self-care rather than numbing out. But here I am a therapist on a Saturday afternoon, like totally zoned out, not even paying attention to the TV as I scroll through Facebook. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think for myself, as I've kind of learned what that actually is, it's helped me get a little bit more self-compassion for myself. Like I understand why this is happening and I can be okay with these moments where I just need to, to just not engage with things. And I can also be intentional about finding stuff to engage with like physical health, Um, like trying to get more of a social life, which with COVID has been a little more difficult, but Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there's so many ways that it tends to creep into our lives that we um, we may not really even be aware of until we have that retrospective and can say, oh yeah, yep, that was me numbing out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I always kind of appreciate that I got pregnant when I did because it made me have to really set boundaries because at that point it wasn't just for me, which you know, a sad thinking about it. Why couldn't I just set the boundaries for myself? Mm-hmm. But I think it's very relatable, mm-hmm. but recognizing that the choices I made were going to impact this little human I was developing and holding those boundaries more in place of, no, I cannot work this late. No, I cannot take on more. No, I have to slow down mm-hmm. because my body was making me, but also recognizing of if I'm not maintaining my health, this does impact this little human in me. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I I always think of the timing in life was all meant to play out in the way it did. Um, Because if I wouldn't have put in my notice before I found out I was pregnant, I probably wouldn't have done it because I would be like, well, I need benefits. Mm -hmm. Because that was one of my thoughts after I found out, like, well, crap, I just gave up my benefits. (laughs) I'm going to have a baby, but recognizing (laughs) it really isn't worth it. The benefits are not worth it for me to stay here and be pregnant and try to maintain all this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's very true. I mean, if you're under such stress in an environment like that, having benefits is 
perhaps a nice thing. It's it's built into what you're already getting through your compensation, but <laughs> like the level of stress that you would then be under remaining in that workplace. Um, I don't claim to have any sort of like in-depth knowledge about the impact of stress on, you know, developing babies, but I know it's there. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that consideration of maybe it, while it creates a different challenge to go off on my own or to go to a different employer or to do something else, um, there can be inherent benefits or even benefits that we're not able to see when we take that leap, which is yeah. kind of, it's kind of cool to think about. Mm-hmm. I think one thing I recognize, like even just talking today, there's so much more. I still am learning about that period of time being burnt out. I think it reminds me that, like you were saying earlier, like burnout doesn't have to be bad. There can be good purpose behind it and being able to see the full picture of their unhealthy or bad pieces of it. But when we recognize it and we do the action or the work to heal it, that it benefits us and the work that we do, but also just in our personal development. And so at the time I didn't appreciate the burnout, but I do appreciate it a little bit more. And I'm grateful because it does help me. I still find myself in burnout, even in my own practice, because there's some of that deconditioning still happening, but recognizing it sooner rather than later, um, because I went through it and not hating the story, but learning how to integrate it. Yeah, absolutely. And I am curious um, for folks that I've talked to who have gone from like a community mental health or nonprofit to private practice. I think there's this idea that once you make that jump, like you're not going to get burnt out. It's all sort of like this magical (laughs) world where things are just perfect. And it's in my experience, it's way better. Um, because I get to set the terms, but burnout does still happen. So for you in your practice and the work that you do, what does burnout look like now as compared to when you were at the agency? Yeah, I I still have the similar dynamic of feeling just kind of like half present at times with clients of like, okay, I know who I'm seeing today. I know what we're working on. Um, I see it in myself more of like, wow, like I was not as engaged or as present as I wanted to be with this client. Or if I start to recognize like, okay, I'm counting down the minutes for the session to be over. That's usually a really good sign that I'm, I'm either burnt out or I'm getting close to burnt out in my work. Um, I also know another piece for me is when I'm so focused on the numbers of like, okay, I need to bring in this. So this means I have to take on this many clients Mm -hmm. instead of, okay, this is a factor. What can I actually manage? What can I actually take on? I start to kind of fall into what I learned from community health of Mm -hmm. higher numbers, more support, more whatever in my head, more benefits, more impact. Um, When I start to focus on the numbers more, that's usually a sign of I'm heading towards burnout because I'm focusing on one piece instead of the whole picture. there was another one that just came to mind and now it's passing through again. I think when I, the anger shows up too, like mm-hmm. when I find myself super like annoyed, frustrated with clients, that's a good sign. I need to mm-hmm. take a vacation, step away, or really focus back into my, mo- my own like self-maintenance plan and prioritizing that versus 
sacrificing that to attend a client's. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting how, um, at least for me, when I have those types of feelings come up, there's still that sort of built in feeling of, oh, but like, not that they need me. I don't really operate from that place anymore, which is nice, but like more of a sense of I've made a commitment. So if I say I can't come today, what does that say about me? Um, rather than being able to flip that and say, I've made a commitment and I've been able to identify, like, I'm not in the place where I can provide the type of service that I've committed to. So it's better for me to not be there. It's better for me to take a day or a week off. Um, like when I'm, when I'm not actively in it, I can see that and be like, of course, of course it makes more sense to take the time off, but approaching those situations where, you know, I'm, I'm deciding to go into sessions or not. And like, I don't, I rarely cancel on clients. So if I do, it's like, I really need to do this. Yeah. But really trying to approach myself from like this, this is a space of compassion for myself and for them. I do not want to show up in a place where I'm frustrated, annoyed, disconnected, um, because that's not what I've committed to providing is it like an annoyed yeah. therapist who's just like, okay, let's get this over with. That's, that's not what I want to do. So yeah. 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 Lots, a powerful one. lots of mindset stuff that I think, unfortunately we pick up along the way. And I think from what I've heard from folks, it doesn't even start with those first jobs. It starts in grad school or even prior to that. Like there's a lot of conditioning that we go through as people who are inclined towards helping um, that informs us about how we're supposed to be, which may not actually be the best way of operating in this world. So yeah, lots of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I always had the, I am a high achiever or I'm the superhero mentality. I always had three jobs. It was easy for me to do a lot. And when people are like, how do you do it all? I'm like, I don't know. I just do. It's just what I've been doing instead of recognizing like, is it really healthy that I do all of that though? (laughs) Um, And how will I burn out because of all of that? Yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned earlier, like full-time agency work plus a private practice plus working at a restaurant plus MLMs, like, holy cow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But in my head, I was like, I've always been doing this. I know how to do this. Mm. This is nothing because that was how you survived. That's how I paid for college. That's how I paid for grad school. I, I had that hustle mentality Mm -hmm. Um, and it has served me at times, but Mm -hmm. it also has been a disservice a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's almost this, um, this mentality that I see as well of it doesn't feel right to not have to work so hard anymore. Like it doesn't feel right that I could just have the one job and like, have that be enough to take care of me. Like I gotta be doing something else, right? Like something's missing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm, that's a really powerful thought for me to sit on (laughs) because I still do multiple things because I feel multi-passionate but recognizing at times I can be multi-passionate and not necessarily have to take action on everything right well I mean you're speaking with me on my podcast like I (laughs) I have a practice and a podcast and like all this stuff so I'm 
I speak of that in general terms, but also like it's fairly personal for me as well, these types of feelings and ways of being in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's it's something that can show up in a lot of ways. Like you said, those types of things can serve us at times. It's not all bad. Um, but it, it is important that we like have the capacity to recognize when it's tipping over that point of, okay, now it's too much. Now I need to pull back from something before my mental health suffers or the people in my life suffer because I am not actually here anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So as you've gone through your multiple journeys, um, I think I would want to ask you, what have been some of the the biggest points of insight for you or the most the most helpful things, right? Because like we all want to kind of feel like what's actually going to work. But for you personally, what were the biggest things that really helped you get through those periods of burnout? I think support system was huge. I mean, I really focused on physical health, like moving my body was an incredible stress reliever and coping skill. Um, but having support from other colleagues and those outside of the field also was really helpful. Um, especially people who knew me well to remind me of like, you are very strong and capable and you don't have to do all these things. My own therapy. Um, you know, I've been in and out since graduate school, but I remember working with an act therapist at that time and had never worked with that modality and just how helpful that was of learning some mindfulness skills and um, just utilizing that work and Mm -hmm. allowing it to help me start to separate this high achiever, high performance to more of that sustainable focus for myself. My husband has always been a really good one, even though it frustrates me when he's like, can't you just like be content? Can't you slow down a little (laughs) bit? Do we have to do all the things? Mm. Drive me crazy but it is a good reminder because sometimes I don't want to recognize I've taken on too much yeah um I really dived into personal development during that year too part of it that that's a focus in MLMs is work on your your mindset Mm -hmm. but that you know I'm not in MLMs anymore but I'm so grateful for that focus of recognizing how to develop more of that personal piece of what am I doing to pour into myself, whether it's listening to a podcast, reading a book, but allowing other people's insights, research, thoughts, allow me to think as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I dive too much into it, but working on it, that was really helpful during that time to recognize like, this isn't necessarily what I want for myself. I thought it was, and it's okay for me to change my mind and utilizing that as a resource during that time was Mm -hmm. really helpful Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely all right well it does look like we are nearing the end of our time but i do want to um put the question to you so if you were to leave the audience with something to think about or something to chew on uh, as they go about with the rest of their day uh, what would you want them to know I think it goes back to what, I mean, this is the message of your podcast in a way of that you're not alone if you're feeling this way. And if you ask someone else, have they experienced burnout or how do you know that you're experiencing it? 
you'll most likely realize you're not alone and that the people probably in your office setting or around you have been there or are there. And it can be so, so validating to know you're not alone in it. And it can be incredibly impactful to come together in that and say, how can we support each other? So we are not in this state anymore, or we're trying to hold ourselves accountable to get us out of that place or to heal and process this place that we've been in. Mm. Awesome. I like that. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So Rachel, thank you again for coming on the show. Um, I'm curious if there are any places online where people can find you or find out more about you. Yeah. So, um, I'm on Instagram at Rachel elder coaching. So I show up there pretty frequently. It's not therapy related. It's more of the relationship piece, but, um, I'm there every, every day. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, therapy wise, uh, what is my website? Rachel-elder.com is how to find me, um, and, and the work, uh, that I do with couples in Washington state. Awesome. All right. Well, I will make sure to put those in the show notes so people can click on those links if they want to find out more. Um, and yeah, just thank you again for coming on today and talking about your journey. Um, I enjoyed it. I think there's a lot of really helpful stuff in there and I'm sure people listening will find what you have to say very, very helpful and validating. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And I hope that whoever or wherever you are, you can start having more conversations in your circles of support about better ways to support ourselves and to support each other through burnout. If you like today's show, please make sure to head over to wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I would love it if you left a rating and a review on there to help get the word out. Thanks so much, y'all. Until next time, take care of yourselves, and I will see you again soon.